This is March, as the great John Rothstein says, and you know what that means. It's the heart of college basketball season. We're also right on the precipice of the start of spring football, and it's also NFL Scouting Combine Week. So we've got a lot to talk about here on this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. But as Griffin Strom joins me as always, first of all, I'm glad you're alive, Griffin, because uh, you had quite an experience getting to Champaign last week. It's always an adventure when you go to Champaign, Illinois, but you in particular <laughs> had uh, quite an adventure last week. Well, that was my first time in Champaign, Illinois. So this was my first taste of any such adventure there. But yeah, so I was driving up there uh, by myself for Ohio State's game against Illinois. Of course, on the on February 24th, Ohio State got a big win in Champaign over the number 15 team in the country, which was a surprise to me. But basically, as I'm driving there, it's like a four and a half hour drive or so. And I was really enjoy- enjoying the drive at the time because I, I haven't been on like a that long of a drive by myself in a while. You know, I'm listening to music and whatnot. But then we start getting to like Indiana slash Illinois territory. And then it starts like first it's the temperature just drops like 10 degrees. Then it starts like raining. Then it turns into like, like hail slash sleet on the, and I'm like, Oh, here we go. Here we go. And then it starts, it just starts getting really bad out the further I go. And then, so basically, well, well, one thing that happened like 10 minutes before the actual incident was that like a semi truck, like tried to change lanes into the lane that I was in. And so I had to like put the, the, the pedal to the metal to, to speed up and get past this. And so like, right after that, I was like, I just cheated death right there. But then like five minutes later, just driving, like I wasn't even switching lanes or anything, just literally driving straight forward. My car just spins and spin, spins out on the highway. And I, I end up falling off of the road basically and into like a ditch. It wasn't like a, a huge, like super steep ditch per se, but my car did get like wedged into like the off the highway, little, you know, decline thing. And it was extremely scary. That has never happened to me before. I've never spun really at all on a highway before. And I, I think if there had been anyone next to me in a lane next to me, I probably would have died because they probably would have hit me because my car spun like all the way around. And then also I, th- I then thought after I, I cleared the road, I thought, oh, my car is totally going to flip and I'm going to die or get seriously injured that way. But instead of it like totally flipping or rolling over, I should say, it, ju- it just basically stopped there in that wedge. And so I get out of the car and I'm like, I'm almost like cheering because I'm like, oh, man, I guess I survived. And then somehow there was no no damage to the car and no physical damage to me. I ended up having to get like roadside assistance from AAA. And it was all good. And I still made it to the game that night to to cover the game. I felt like I came that far. I was only like 10 minutes away from my hotel. I was like, if I came that far, I've got to end up, you know, making the whole thing worthwhile and going to the game. So it was quite the experience. At least you got to see a good game out of it, right? Yeah, it was a, it was an outlandish game. Another one for this Ohio state team, because they've had plenty of crazy dramatic finishes this season. And that was another one. And, you know, really their best win since they beat Wisconsin at home in early December. Yeah, far from the part of far from the wildest part of your, but still a wild game there in Champaign. And we'll talk a little bit more about Ohio State basketball in the back half of the show. But 
Want to take a look ahead to spring practice? Because as of the moment we're recording here, Ohio State has not yet announced when the first day of spring practice is going to be. How all indications I've heard is that spring practice is going to start next week. And so I figured we should uh, talk a little bit of the start of spring practice and look ahead to something that I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast are anticipating. And I know that we're anticipating. I know that I'm uh, really looking forward to you know, finally getting that first opportunity to watch the Buckeyes practice this year sometime real soon. And Griffin, when we do get that opportunity, like what's the first thing your eyes are going to go to? Well, first of all, a smaller thing is, you know, when we're at these practices, I'm just looking to see are are certain guys we didn't know that were hurt. Are they, you know, off of the sideline and dealing with stuff like that? That's kind of like the first thing I'm looking at and looking at the, the roster and things like that. But I think you can't really start anywhere else besides looking at just the initial, how does the defense look? Are there any clear changes to how the defense, you know, is structured? Because we expect to see a lot of changes with this Jim Knowles defense and what we'll be able to pick up on right away just from kind of looking at it initially. Yeah, I think that's the obvious answer and probably true for uh, the vast majority of us will, that will be at spring practice this spring is uh, just looking to see what is that defense look like because you know we've seen the film of what Jim Knowles did at Oklahoma State we've heard him talk a little bit but the spring that feels like it's going to be our first real opportunity to get an idea of okay this is what this defense is going to look like and and surely they're not going to give away all the answers this spring especially not at any practices that are open to the media or in the spring game because they don't want you know Notre Dame to know exactly what they're going to be doing on defense for that first game of a season. So I'm sure they're going to keep things, you know, very vanilla whenever practice is open to other people, but nonetheless, you know, one, one thing I have learned from, you know, covering a few different defensive coaching staffs here now is typically what you see, even on the first day of spring practice, it might not be the full picture of what you're going to see, but it is usually the base picture. Like, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, the new staff comes in and they've got the, the free safety look out there and, you know, two linebackers and all that. And right there, it's like you kind of start to figure out like, OK, this is, you know, this is probably what, you know, this defense is, is going to look like this year. And so I, I think we're going to get an idea right away of what the defense is going to look like. It's probably not going to be the full picture. We're probably not going to see that until September. But it's going to be very interesting one to see how the defense is aligned, how, you know, where players are lining up and how that might look different from last year. And then secondly, you know, who are those players taking first team reps? And, you know, again, you can never fully assume that the depth chart you see on the first day of spring practice is what it's going to be in the fall, because I think, especially on defense, you know, other than Larry Johnson, this is a brand new coaching staff. So they're going to be doing a lot of evaluating this spring. And so to, to me, I don't think being at the top of a depth chart last season really means a whole lot going into this year if you're a linebacker or a DB. Now, granted, you know, I think Denzel Burke's going to be a starter. I think Ronnie Hickman's going to be a starter. You know, there's a few guys there that have, have played well enough in the past that I think they've, you know, established themselves as starters. But, you know, I think they're – they're probably going to experiment with a lot of different lineups this spring. So you can't necessarily, you know, read into what we see on the first day of spring and go, that's your defensive starting lineup this year. That could certainly change, but still, I feel like every year you go into that first day of spring, there's always a 
two or three guys that are maybe higher on the depth chart than you expected. And that usually means something. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm just interested to see as, as well, maybe not the top priority per se, but just how the new coaches kind of gel and run their own rooms. Because, you know, the last two seasons, there's been a lot of continuity on the staff. This year, there's a lot of new guys coming in, seeing how they kind of gel with their position groups and, and their own kind of natural um, styles that they bring to the table coaching wise that might be different than some of the guys we've seen in, in years past. What in your mind is the biggest question that needs to be answered this spring? I think, again, going back, it's hard to look in terms of questions about Ohio State and how last year ended and really start with anything besides, you know, how fast can the defense make improvements? And will we be able to see any of that this early on? You know, maybe not, but how fast can they implement these new things and, and start turning the corner on defense to make the changes that they need to make to be a, a true national cont- championship contending team and a playoff team as well. Yeah. It's always hard to evaluate and, you know, it's always fun. Like, especially if a spring game, like, you know, if you, let's say we have, you know, we're watching a spring game, the first team offense going against first team defense, you know, CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba could look great. And then you'll say, Oh, the offense looks great, but the defense still looks bad or the other way around, you know, the defense could look great, but Oh, what's wrong with CJ? What's wrong with, you know, the wide receivers. And so you, you can never read too much into like who's, you know, where, you know, who's doing better the offense and the defense in spring. I think it's always kind of hard to tell off of that, but it is super important. This is spring is super important for Ohio state because they are installing a new scheme. You know, the, the, the one concern I have about the new defense is one thing we have heard, you know, even from talking to guys like Tanner McAllister who played at Oklahoma State is that, you know, this is a complex defense that takes some time to learn. You know, they talked about it being kind of a four-year process at Oklahoma State. Jim Knowles has acknowledged he doesn't have four years at Ohio State. They've got to make immediate improvements. But that means they've got to, they've got to really maximize every practice this spring. They've really got to utilize that time well on the defensive side of a ball because, you know, they've got to get basically everybody over been McAllister up to speed on a new defense in a short amount of time. And so I, I think this spring is going to be really important in that regard. And I don't know if we're going to see it, but I think the coaches themselves are probably going to have a pretty good idea coming out of spring. Okay. Are we where we need to be as a defense or do we still have a lot of ground to make up? And so I think these 15 practices this spring are going to be super important in, in that regard of just getting everybody on the same page. It's not, you know, I think, you know, we focus a lot on like position battles and players that are emerging. And I think all that's important too, because I mean, I think another element for the defense is Ohio state needs some stars to emerge. You know, you look at last year for all the four and five star guys that were out there, I don't think there's anybody on the defense last year that you could say was truly a star. And they had one first team all big 10 guy in Haskell Garrett. I mean, you had a guy like Denzel Burke who had a really promising freshman year, but you know, he had some inconsistency too, that you'd expect from a freshman. So I don't think there was one guy that you could look at last year on Ohio state's defense and say, that guy was a star. So I think that's something that also needs to happen this spring, whether it's Zach Harrison or JT Tuimolowau or Jack Sawyer up front, or whether it's steel chambers at linebacker, or whether it's, you know, Denzel Burke or Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, Cam Brown in the back, whoever it might be, 
they need some guys to really emerge as game-changing kind of players. Because when you look at great Ohio State defenses in the past, there's always been a couple guys who are, you know, all American caliber players, guys who could really change the game. And so I think that's important too. This spring is finding some game changers, having some guys really prove that they can make that kind of impact on the game. But I think most importantly is it's installing a new scheme and getting everybody on the same page with that scheme. It's not necessarily as much about what the depth chart's going to look like as it is making sure that everybody on that defense understands their roles in this new defense and is making progress toward being ready to play in that defense come September. And maybe less pressing towards the ultimate goals of this upcoming year's team. But of course, another fun question always for spring is, you know, which of the freshman guys can start to make a little bit of noise. Obviously last year, a guy like Marvin Harrison, we started to hear a lot of, you know, we started to hear his name a lot during the, the spring practices. And then we saw what he did in the spring game. So, you know, which, which of those guys can start to, to make some noise here in the spring and get fans excited about their futures in the program as well. Yeah, I'll definitely, you know, have my eye on a lot of those freshmen whenever we get to watch practice this spring and kind of see, you know, who those guys are. And I think, you know, CJ Hicks is an obvious guy that stands out as somebody to watch, you know, where is he in that linebacker depth chart? Can he make an early push for playing time there? You know, I think, you know, watching, you know, Keon Grays and Caleb Burton at receiver, you know, they're not going to be starters, but to see, you know, can they push for spots on that T too deep, you know, how do they look this off season? And then, you know, I'm going to be interested too, to see where some of the defensive guys fit in in this new defense, guys like Gabe Powers, guys like Caden Curry, you know, we've heard, you know, Caden Curry, you know, maybe he's a Leo, you know, Gabe Powers, maybe he's a will linebacker, but kind of some flexibility for those guys to potentially play different spots. So uh, I'm going to be interested to see, you know, where do they fit in on the defense? And then, you know, even though he's certainly not going to be competing for a starting job this spring, I'm going to be interested to see Devin Brown throw the ball. You know, Devin Brown's a guy who certainly at this time next year, we're probably going to be talking about Devin Brown competing with Kyle McCord for a starting job. So this is going to be our first real opportunity to see him throw the ball in a college setting. So I'm certainly going to be interested to watch him as well. And Dan, we, we've talked a lot about the defense, of course, for Ohio State, but on offense, what do you think is the biggest kind of thing the Buckeyes need to accomplish here in the spring? I think for me, obviously, with Justin Fry coming in for uh, Greg Studrawa, that's a big a part of the equation there is you know, especially with Ohio State losing some veteran key guys there on the offensive line, how can they kind of get that working in, in conjunction with the run game as well with Travion Henderson coming back? Yeah, I think that's definitely uh, right at the top of the list for the offense is, you know, figuring out who that five is on offense on the offensive line. I feel like we have a pretty good idea of who the five could be, but, you know, whoever that ends up being, you know, getting that solidified this spring, you know, I think ideally you want to come out of a spring, you know, knowing who your best five are, or at least having a pretty good idea. I don't think you want to do what you did last year where you're making changes in, in August and all of a sudden you're moving uh, Thayer Munford to guard and all that. I, I think that probably had some impact on the offensive line, maybe not quite playing up to its potential last year was deciding to make changes like massive changes in August. And so I think ideally by the end of spring, you want to have a pretty good idea of, who your five guys are and, you know, any experimentation you may want to do in terms of positions, ideally you're working through that in the spring and you're kind of, you know, experimenting with the different possible lineups so that when you come out of spring, you feel like, okay, these are the five, these are the top backups. 
and you're coming out of it in that sense. So I think that's going to be, you know, certainly for the offense. I think another position that certainly my eye is going to be on is tight end because with Jeremy Ruckert uh, going to the NFL, Cade Stover moving over to defense, really not much returning experience there. So, you know, we've heard about a guy like Joe Royer. Maybe he can be a guy to step up. I think G Scott's another guy that certainly I'm going to be interested to see you know, how are they utilizing him? You know, is he playing as an inline tight end or are they just using him as a flex guy? Is he a guy that looks ready to make a bigger contribution this year? And so, you know, I think those two positions, they're maybe not the sexy positions on offense, but I think offensive line and tight end are probably what I'm going to be, you know, most locked in on. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you're talking about CJ Stroud and Travion Henderson and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Those guys are going to have things to work on this spring, but those guys are also mostly known commodities at this point. I will be interested both the receiver position just to see what the depth chart looks like and, and, and where guys are lined up. Is Jackson going to stay in the slot or is he going to move outside? And who are going to be other two guys running first? I imagine that we're going to see Julian Fleming, Marvin Harrison Jr. And Emeka Buka all take a ton of first team reps this spring there there probably even be times where it's both free and, and Jackson's getting a rest just because they don't need to overwork Jackson this spring so I would think all four of those guys are going to get a ton of first team reps and then you know maybe Jaden Boward maybe even some of those freshmen you know mix it as well but it's certainly going to be interesting just to see you know how they're rotating guys at that receiver position because you know I, we know they have a lot of talent there but you know obviously Jackson's the only guy that's really locked in as a starter. And Dan, we've already, you know, touched on a lot of players on this roster here, but maybe a couple of guys we haven't yet talked about, you know, your top few handful of players that you'll really be uh, watching this spring and keeping a close eye on. Well, I just mentioned Cade Stover moving to defense. He's certainly one that I'm going to be interested in to see, you know, where he factors in, you know, the idea is he's probably going to be playing that Leo spot, but I think, you know, another question just in general for Leo spot is, how big is that Leo spot really going to be? I mean, the, I think back to a few years ago when we kept talking bullet and then they didn't even really end up using that. So, you know, to see like, is, is this, you know, hybrid linebacker defensive end really going to be the full-time position in the defense that people think it's going to be, or is that maybe just going to be more of a situational thing? So I'm going to be interested in seeing that in general. And then I think, you know, deeper into that Cade Stover being a guy who I think potentially could play a substantial role at that position. You know, he's another, he's a guy that I'm definitely uh, going to be intrigued to watch. Griffin, who's a couple guys for you that stand out to you? Dan, let me throw this name out there for you because it might not be one that's on the top of your tongue, but Harry Miller, are we going to see him involved in stuff this spring? I mean, he's obviously been dealing with all the, the injury issues the past uh, over the, the past year is how much of involvement is he going to have in the spring? That's going to be an interesting one just to see what he's kind of doing. I wrote down Cade Stover as well, myself, Mecca Buka as well. Like, like you talked about, is he going to, you know, move around a little bit and so that he can get on the field more or what's going to happen with him? Obviously a lot of people want to know how fast Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Moloau can really, you know, start leveling up to that, that next level and make more of an impact for Ohio state, even though they have some, you know, veteran D defensive ends coming back. And then a couple of guys we heard, we've been hearing about, you know, from players for a while now at the cornerback position, Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock. Those are a couple other guys. Do they start to emerge here as the cornerbacks of the future beyond this season for Ohio State as well? Yeah, I think Harry Miller is a good one because I don't, I have no idea what to expect there. Like he could be 
week ago, he could be running with the first team the first day of practice. He might not even be practicing. I mean, based on, you know, the way that was last year where he really, you know, wasn't out there practicing for the majority of the fall. I have no idea what to expect there. So that is a really interesting one. And I think in a similar, another guy that I'm certainly going to be paying attention to how much is he out there? How much is he participating is Josh Proctor? Because I think, you know, everybody expects that Josh Proctor is probably going to be the starting free safety this year, but he's coming off a major leg injury in September. So, you know, I'm not sure, is he going to be a full participant in practice this spring? I think it would certainly be a good thing if he is able to, because again, you know, we talked about how important this spring is going to be in terms of installing a new defense. And so I think anybody who's not out there this spring for the defense, I think they're going to be behind the eight ball a little bit in terms of, you know, getting up to speed on the defense. And so, you know, my guess is that, you know, Josh Proctor will probably be practicing in a limited capacity. I'm guessing he's probably not going to be out there, you know, every play, probably not going to be, you know, playing in a spring game necessarily, but you know, I think as much as he can be out there is, is going to be important for him since I think he is a guy who's likely to play a major role on the defense this year, but is also coming off a major injury. All right, Dan, you are headed to the NFL scouting combine this week, where, uh, of course, several Buckeyes are going to be working out. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Thayer Munford, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, Haskell Garrett, Tyreek Smith. And uh, we learned that Jeremy Ruckert is not going to be participating due to injury. But Danny, what, what are you most excited to, uh, to clue, uh, to key in on when you take that trip down there and you know, who, who needs to really have a strong performance at the scouting combine? Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting week, a little bit smaller of a combine contingent than we've seen from Ohio state in, in recent years, but still, you know, a, a group of seven prospects who I expect to all be drafted. So I think, you know, it's not, you know, I, I don't know if there's anybody in the group, but it's like the combine is going to, you know, make or bake, make or break where they get drafted or anything like that. But I, I still think it's going to be, you know, an interesting combine for all those guys. Like you said, Jeremy Rucker dealing with a foot injury. So he's not going to be able uh, to work out this week. He'll save that for pro day later this month. But, you know, certainly I think the guys who are going to grab the headlines are going to be Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, two first-round projected. And I think, you know, both of those guys have a chance to really solidify that, you know, assuming they do go through workouts. I think, you know, either one of those guys could really solidify themselves as a first-round pick by having a good workout on Thursday. So it's going to be really interesting, you know, to, certainly to see, you know, how fast those guys run. You know, I know there's people out there who Chris Olave is going to run really fast. And so, you know, if he can go out there and run a sub 4-4, I don't know that I'm predicting that, but if he can do that, I think that would certainly, you know, solidify him in that first round range. I don't expect Garrett Wilson to run quite that fast, but I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, what both of those guys numbers are. Cause we know they're both great athletes. We know they're both great receivers. You know, I don't think they need to blow the combine out of the water to be first round picks, but you know, to see, you know, what they can do on that stage is going to be really interesting. And certainly uh, a lot of, you know, NFL scouts are going to be watching that closely because you look at this receiver class, there's about six or seven guys who are in that first round conversation. And so I think the combine for those guys is really about trying to position themselves at the top of that group. You know, you have guys like, you know, Jamison Williams, who's not going to be working out because he's coming off a torn ACL, you know, Drake London from USC is also coming off a season ending injury. 
So, you know, those guys probably aren't going to be out there. So, you know, between Olave and Wilson, Traylon Burks from Arkansas, you know, Jahan Dotson, Penn State, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for all those guys to really make their case for, you know, this is why I'm one of the best wide receivers in this draft. And so I think it's a big opportunity for those guys and certainly looking forward to, you know, what those guys do. When I think about the guy who I think maybe helps himself the most this week, I think Nicholas Petit Frere could, could be that guy because he's a guy, you know, he was a top 10 overall prospect in his class for a reason. And that's because he has great quickness for an offensive tackle. He has really quick feet. And so I think he's a guy who should run a fast 40 for an offensive lineman. I think he should do really well in the on-field drills and, you know, his footwork. You know, I think the questions of him are more, you know, strength and technique but I think the combine is something that is really set up well for him to succeed because it's going to allow him to really showcase his athleticism. And, and I won't be surprised at all if he's a guy who you know has a great workout there in Indianapolis. I think on the other end of that spectrum, I look at a Thayer Munford and I look at him as I think he's a guy who needs to have a good workout because I think the question with him is his athleticism. You know, this is a guy who started for four years at Ohio state. He, he's got a lot of good tape, but you know, I think the question a lot of NFL scouts have with Thayer Munford right now is, you know, he, he played better at tackle than he did at guard at Ohio state, but is he quick enough to play tackle in the NFL? And so I think, you know, he's a guy, I mean, I talked to him last week for the draft diary he's doing for 11 warriors he told me he wants to be more than a third round pick. I think it, if he's going to have a chance to go in those early rounds, I, I think it's going to take a really good workout at the combine. I think, you know, running fast in the 40, you know, maybe not even the 40, it's so much important, but more, you know, the on-field drills, you know, showing good footwork, you know, showing good quickness. I think those things could have a, a big impact on a, a guy like Thayer Munford because I, I think for him, you know, those are the big questions that teams have about him right now. You know, he's proven that he can be a great offensive lineman at the collegiate level, but does he have that elite athleticism to make that jump and be a starter in the NFL? I think that's a question that a lot of NFL teams have about him right now. And this is going to be his biggest opportunity to try to answer that question. And then how about those defensive guys as well? Because it would seem that Haskell Garrett could, you know, really help himself with a, a good showing because I think there are some questions about some of his physical tools, at least from what I've read in some of his draft projections and things of that nature. And Tyreek Smith, a guy where maybe not that same type of deal, but maybe where there's not a whole lot of sack production and things of that nature that you're seeing in, on, in his college. And so maybe some metrics could really help him out, you know, as a very athletic guy coming off the edge. Yeah, I think. Tyreek Smith's certainly another guy that, you know, he can really benefit from a good combine because like you said, I mean, if you look at Tyreek, I mean, his size, his, you know, burst, his athleticism, I mean, he's a guy who looks like an early round pick physically. The problem is he never had early round pick production at Ohio State. And so, you know, he's a guy that, you know, right now, if I was projecting, I would project him to be the seventh of those guys drafted, but I think there's a chance that changes after this week, because I think he is a guy that's going to perform well in the combine setting. I think he is a guy that's going to test well. And, you know, he's a guy that right now I look at, I think he's probably like a fifth round pick, 
But I think, you know, if, if he can go out and have a really good workout, I think he's going to entice some teams. I think some teams might look at him and say, this is a guy we still think his best football is ahead of him. He, he's got the measurables that we're looking for in a edge rusher. And, you know, we think we can make him into the player he has the potential to be. And so, you know, I think he's a guy that, you know, could really help himself with a good combine certainly, you know, needs that because, you know, he didn't have that great career at Ohio state, you know, he had a good career, but he didn't have a great career. And so I think a, a big combine could go a long way for him, you know, to your point on Haskell Garrett, I, I think him and fair to me are kind of both in a similar boat here going into the combine where both of them were really good players at Ohio state. You know, they both played a lot of football at Ohio state, but I think for both of them, the question is, you know, do they quite have those elite physical tools that are going to allow them to be starting caliber players in the NFL. And truthfully, I, I don't know that the combine is, is the setting that's really going to help either of them really showcase what they do well. I think they're both guys who are really good football players. If you turn on the tape, you're going to see a lot of examples of them playing really good football. But I don't know that I see the combine setting, you know, being something that is going to play to Haskell Garrett's strengths. You know, I think if, if he does have a really good workout, he could certainly help himself. He could certainly help establish himself as that, you know, third, fourth round pick. But I don't necessarily expect that the combine setting is going to be something that's really going to showcase Haskell Garrett's skill set the same way that watching his film might. But Again, if he can prove me wrong on that, if he can go out and have a really good workout, he could certainly elevate his draft stock. So, Dan, if Chris Olave ends up running, you know, like you said, an extremely fast 40, I mean, is there anybody that's really going to challenge him for the title of biggest Ohio State combine star of this year? Yeah, I mean, if it, it yeah, it probably all depends on, like you said, I mean, if he runs some low 4 three forty or something, then he's probably going to be uh, the guy that comes out of a combine as uh, the biggest star. But like I said, I, I think, you know, Petit Frere, again, I mean, if, as an offensive lineman, he probably is going to have to do something spectacular to really grab the headlines. But, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if coming out of this week is he's the guy we're talking about as the guy whose stock improved the most this week. Cause I think with Olave and Wilson, you know, their stock only has so much room to go up. They're both already widely projected as first round picks. And so I think for them, I don't necessarily anticipate that the combine is going to have a drastic impact on either of their draft stocks, but certainly, you know, if a guy like Chris Olave can go out and run a really fast 40, you know, he could, you know, make himself from instead of being that, you know, for fifth receiver drafted in the late first round, maybe he's the first or second receiver drafted in the early first round. So certainly a big opportunity for him. I think if he can run fast and, and look really good in the workouts, which you'd think he would uh, a big opportunity for him to remind people, you know, why he's one of the best players in this draft. All right. Well, as those of you who listen to the show every week, know, typically we record this show on Tuesday afternoon and the half of it you've already listened to that was all recorded on Tuesday afternoon but the rest of this show you're listening to was recorded after midnight on Wednesday morning and the reason for that is because quite honestly in the basketball segment that we recorded on Tuesday afternoon 
We assumed that Ohio State was going to beat Nebraska. We had good reason to do so. Ohio State was favored to beat Nebraska by 15 points. Ohio State had only lost one game at home all year. And so we thought it was safe to just go ahead and record it and assume that Ohio State was going to beat Nebraska. But that did not happen as Ohio State lost to Nebraska on Tuesday night, 78 to 70. And, you know, certainly changing the tenor of what I thought we were going to be talking about during this section of a podcast after the aforementioned game on Thursday night in Champaign. Because, you know, that game, you look back at that Illinois game, that to me, that was arguably Ohio State's best win of a season. It was definitely a top two or three win of a season going on the road beating one of the best teams in the Big Ten in a very hostile environment uh, to go get that win. That was a huge boost of momentum for Ohio State. And I mean, I wrote on Saturday about the possibility that Ohio State could win a share of the Big Ten championship. I wrote about how it looked like they had pretty much assured themselves of a double buy. Like that's the position Ohio State was in. And now as we sit here five, six days later, Ohio State's no longer in the top four of the Big Ten standings. The, the conference championship thing, that's completely off the table. But the bigger question now is just where is this team and what is this team at? Because, you know, you guys who listen every week know I always talk about, you know, one, one loss should not be a referendum on the season. But a loss to the last place team in the conference on your home court is undeniably bad especially when it's coming off a loss to another bottom four team in the conference, that one coming on the road, but a double digit loss to Maryland is not good either. So Griffin, you were at the game on Tuesday night. What went wrong for Ohio state in in that game? Well, Dan, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, how the the Illinois win shows Ohio State's upside, right, and their potential to knock off a team like that in in that type of environment, but that the Maryland loss, you know, just a couple days later shows the the ceiling for Ohio State in terms of they oftentimes play down to their competition, you could say, or have, you know, inconsistent nights. But we were talking earlier about how, okay, with the Maryland loss, there was a lot of fatigue going on with this Ohio State team and the fact that both EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham had – really off nights, which honestly, how often is that going to happen for Ohio State where both of their stars are going to have, you know, some of their worst performances of the season. So we were ready on our, on our first take there to kind of chalk that loss off as, you know, just some, something that maybe you could look past, but not after what we saw on Tuesday night, because Ohio State on offense, Dan, they shot 38.6% from the field. I would have to look that I know for a fact that's among their lowest field goal, team field goal percentages as a collective but, but that came also on a night when EJ Liddell had 27 points. He did miss 10 shots, shooting seven for 17, but he had 27 points and 14 boards. So I don't think you can look at EJ Liddell as, you know, the fault of that loss, like maybe could have more so against Maryland. But then defensively, Dana, in the past three games for Ohio State, even in that Illinois win, Ohio State's giving up, I think, 78.7, something like that, points per game. That's like seven points above their season average. And then opposing guards right now are cooking Ohio State's defense because the, the freshman guard for, for Nebraska, Bryce McGowan's, he had 26 points for the Huskers in that Ohio State loss on Tuesday. You look just one game ago against Maryland, Fats Russell and Eric Ayala uh, combined for 50 points. One of them had 27, the other one had 23 the game before that, you'll remember Alonzo Plummer for, for Illinois had 26 points. I mean, those are huge performances 
by all of those, by guards on all of those teams. And Chris Holman talked after the game today about how Ohio State is, is really struggling to guard the ball and, and really struggling to guard perimeter players. And I think as you actually look back throughout the season, that has been a trend at times for Ohio State where opposing uh, guards and scores have really gone off at times against the Buckeyes. Yeah, I admittedly did not watch most of a game on Tuesday night. I had just arrived in Indianapolis for the combine and went out to get dinner. And so I, I didn't see the whole game, but I, I did see Chris Holtman's press conference after the game because it, it happened quite a while after the game, because I'm sure uh, they had a long post-game conversation in the locker room. And, you know, he did not shy, you know, he did not shy away from the fact that if they do not play better on defense and if they don't do better rebounding the ball, it's going to be the end of his team. I mean, and, you know, and he owned that, you know, I think, you know, there are, you know, some excuses you could make for Tuesday night's game. The biggest one being that Zed key was out and Kyle young also left the game early due to illness. And so being without those guys, I mean, at one point they, they were down in the second half and they had to play Harrison hook thin because that's how, thin they had gotten in the front court and so that was certainly a factor not something that should be at least not completely overlooked that's certainly a factor fatigue I think has certainly become a factor of these team in these last couple games of how many games they're playing back to back I think uh, that certainly caught up with this team but it's still to lose to Nebraska on your home floor that's not acceptable it's not and so you know, I can't go back to what I've said before about, oh, you know, it's just one loss. You just write it off. Not this loss. This loss is different. And now, granted, it's all about how they respond from here. They've got two more big games coming up this week against Michigan State and Michigan. Now, extremely important games for Ohio State now, all of a sudden, because if they want to have any chance of getting a double buy in a Big Ten tournament, they have to win both those games. They're also going to need some help now in the form of an Iowa loss because they're now tied with Iowa in the standings and Iowa has the head-to-head advantage. So Ohio State no longer controls its own destiny for a double bye. But if it wants to at least give itself a chance, it's got to beat Michigan State and Michigan. It's certainly got to play a lot better than it did against both Maryland and Nebraska to give itself a chance. But again, it's all about the response here. I mean, ultimately, when this season comes to an end, the Nebraska game isn't the game we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how do they fare in the Big Ten tournament? How do they fare uh, in the NCAA tournament? But I, I also think that it's certainly fair now to have watched those last two games and wonder, are the wheels falling off the bus now? Which seems kind of crazy to say because they just beat Illinois six days ago. But to see those two bad losses, I mean, you know, those are a bad sign. And and it definitely shows, again, the high ceiling of this team. This is a team that can beat Illinois. I mean, this is a team that on any given night, I feel like has the potential to beat just about anybody in the country. I mean, we've seen them beat Duke. We've seen them beat Wisconsin. Those are both top 10 teams. This team is capable of that. But the last two games also illustrate that this is a team that remains very susceptible to an upset loss. And so who knows what we're going to see from this team here as we go deeper into March, but you know, there's no doubt that, you know, if, if they play the way they did in these last couple games down the stretch here, they're not going to have much success. 
I have to agree. And I will say if Ohio State did have a healthy Zed Key and a healthy Kyle Young, I think that might still, even on a night like tonight, help them get over the hump in an eight in an eight point loss in which Ohio State was down uh, four, I think, in the final minute there. I think if they have two, two of their you know top six, seven players that they probably end up getting the job done against Nebraska. But you look at last year's team, Dan, last year, I think they lost their, their final four games of the regular season after having a, a very long winning streak through most of the year. But then they end up, you know, flipping the script there in the Big Ten tournament, going on a run, you know, all the way to the end, pushing Illinois to overtime in the Big Ten tournament championship game just a year ago. So like, like you said, as disastrous a loss as this seems right now, it's not like this loss is going to suddenly oust Ohio State from the NCAA tournament. It's not like this loss somehow gets Ohio State, you know, uninvited from the Big Ten tournament. Like they still have all the, you know, the ball is still in their court in terms of writing the final narrative on the season here. But it's certainly not a good look. And especially because, I mean, Dan, you were you said earlier today when we did the first take on this that you were going to tell the Buckeye fans what they wanted to hear, which is that Ohio State was going to beat both Michigan State and Michigan in the, these final two regular season games here to close out this weekend. I have a, I've got a strong feeling that you might not be echoing that same sentiment after what you saw on Tuesday. Well, I'm certainly not as confident in that sentiment as I was earlier. I don't know that I've necessarily changed my prediction, but I, I think they're going to have to play a lot better. I mean, I think part of that, honestly, especially for Thursday, is going to depend on are they going to have Zed Key and Kyle Young back, you know, because clearly uh, they missed those two guys on Tuesday night. But yeah, I mean, certainly not as confident right now. I still think Ohio State can go out and, and win either of those two, potentially even both those two games. But they, they have to play better. There's no doubt about that. I mean, again, we're only six days removed from them going out, going and beating Illinois on the road. So there's no reason for me to think that they can't go and beat Michigan State and Michigan this weekend. But you know, I think those two games now have just become all that much more important, not just for Big Ten tournament seating or whatnot. I mean, I think you know, you, you can argue even how important the Big Ten tournament really even is. I think there's probably, especially the way we've seen, you know, fatigue start to catch up with this team, there'd, there'd probably be some benefit to Ohio State not being in the Big tournament, Ten tournament very long and, and getting a little bit more rest before the big dance. But beyond that, you, you look at the momentum this team had coming off of last week, coming off that win off Illinois, you know, they're trending up and now all that momentum is gone straight down it, it, it's it's gone so I think it's important just to build confidence just to get this team going in the right direction again for them to come finish strong and at least win one of these last two games against Michigan State or Michigan yeah but the problem is some of these issues that we're talking about which is why they've you know partially why they've dropped a couple of games here is that the fatigue and then also we just talked about the injuries to, to key and whatever's going on with Kyle Young and they, they play again the day after tomorrow. So it's like, how can you really even fix those issues? I mean, Justin Arms was talking about how, you know, part of it also might be the fact that Ohio State's had all these, you know, basically one day preps for to get ready for opponents, which typically you'd have, you know, more time than that. And how that's, you know, not ideal for the Buckeyes. They're going to have the same type of deal coming up here, going into a game against Mich Tom Izzo at Michigan State, which is obviously capable of beating just about any team in the country. So I'm not sure how easily those problems are going to be solved here with so many games in such a short window of time. Yeah, it's tough, but if I'm not mistaken, Nebraska played on Sunday too. So you can't just, you can't just use that as a cop-out for Ohio State because Nebraska was in the same situation. They obviously handled it better. Michigan State played on Tuesday night too. They're going to be in the same situation going into this next game. So 
you could only use that as an excuse for so long. I think it's valid in terms of Ohio State not playing, not being able to sustain that high level of play in every game. I, you know, I said that when we, in the earlier edition of podcast, I'll say it again, that I don't think it's realistic to expect this team to play its best basketball every night when they're playing, what, seven, seven games in 15 days. But it doesn't mean you can play your worst basketball every night. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't ever play your best basketball. You, you have to find a way to overcome that because every team is tired at this juncture of the season and you're probably going to be a little tired the rest of the way. I mean, it's, you're going into a Big Ten tournament setting where every game you win, you're going to play again the next day. NCAA tournament, you've got to win two games in three days to advance to the next round. So, so they have to be able to handle these situations. And I think the fact that they right now are not handling that situation very well is the reason why there's a lot of trepidation in the Ohio State fan base right now about you know, whether this team is, is going to be able to accomplish more in March than it did last year. And listen, after the game, Chris Holman did you know, take some blame for the losses as well. He said He basically said, put it on me because a lot of people are going to be doing that anyway. You can kind of tell with his, some of his reactions to, to recent losses here that, you know, he does, you know, see things hear things about how the fans are feeling, because we've talked about it, you know, all season long that after one loss fans tend to, to overreact, but this feels like a game where some of that, that, that reaction is warranted because of just how surprising it was to see Ohio state, a 15 point favorite over the last place team in the big 10, you know, go down by double digits in the second half there. Yeah. When you lose to the last place team in the conference on your home floor, you're going to take some heat for it and that heat is warranted. And so, you know, still time to turn things around, but time is running out. And so, you know, again, they're still an NCAA tournament team. I know I saw some, I mean, I saw some people tonight say they're not even going to make the tournament now. They're still going to make the tournament. I mean, unless, I mean, even if they lose out, I think they're still going to make the tournament. They certainly don't want to do that though, but they're still going to make the tournament, but it's, they just, they got to play better than this. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how, how the next few weeks go. And, you know, the way the next few weeks go are going to determine whether uh, fans start feeling better about Chris Holtman or whether his, the heat on him is turned up higher than ever, because, you know, this is a team, I mean, we're, we're going to talk about it, uh, that, you know, this is a team, they could have nine guys going through senior day festivities on Sunday in their final home game against Michigan. This is a really experienced team. When you look at a team with, again, nine seniors, plus an EJ Liddell, plus another guy who could potentially go pro after one year in Malachi Branham. This is a team that's supposed to be a contender. Like it is. I mean, when you have that kind of experience and you have the top level talent like EJ and Malachi that they do, this team is supposed to be a contender. And so, you know, I think it's definitely valid to say, like, it's not just like, oh, see what happens next year, because this team is probably more built to contend than next year's team is going to be most likely. Next year's team is going to be a lot younger. They're going to lose some key pieces from this year. And so, oh, 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 oh. and so they, you got to take advantage of this opportunity that you have and uh, clearly, based on the last couple of games, there are some areas that they have to significantly improve upon here and play much better over the next few weeks if they're going to really accomplish anything in March. Well, Dan, let's talk about it since you brought it up, because looking ahead to, to kind of senior day here, Ohio State fit, closing out the regular season with Michigan, of course, you, you talked about all the guys that are going to be having their you know customary senior day speeches. It's going to be a, a marathon stretch, we would think, with all those the guys that could be giving those speeches. 
but just how many of those seniors or not seniors or freshmen, perhaps, Dan, will actually be playing their final home game at the Schottenstein Center in your estimation? Well, we know at least five will. Joey Brunk, Kyle Young, Cedric Russell, Jimmy Sotos, and Jamari Wheeler, they're already using their additional year of eligibility. So we know at least those five guys uh, will be going through senior day on Sunday, and that will be their final home game at Ohio. Four other guys, Seth Towns, Justice Suing, Justin Arns, Harrison Hookman, uh, they still have a decision to make about their additional year of eligibility. You know, I would lean toward all or most of those guys returning when you consider that you know, Seth Towns and Justice Suing. Towns has missed the whole year with injuries, though I, I know he did get in on the action with an ejection on Tuesday night, but he has not played at all this year. Justice Suing has played in two games and it doesn't seem likely he's going to play at all this year. You know, Harrison Hookfin, you know, he's a guy I know that he, you know, has plans to go to medical school at some point. So I think he's going to have to make a decision about, you know, whether it's worth playing one more year of basketball or whether he should just focus on academics. Justin Arns, I mean, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, right now, I don't think his pro prospects are very high. So I would think if he wants to continue playing basketball that, you know, he would come back for another year. We'll see. I mean, I would say if I'm just going off the odds there, I'd probably say that, you know, three of those guys will be back next year and one of them won't just because I imagine somebody will decide to move on. But I think the majority of those guys probably will be back. I do think EJ Liddell is gone. I'd be shocked if he came back for another year. And I'm, st- I'm I am going to say, though, that I, I, there's been a lot of one and done chatter about Malachi Branham. It was probably a little bit hotter after the Illinois game than it has been after the last two games. But I'm going to say Malachi Branham comes back for for one more year. I think uh, that's certainly a conversation that's going to be worth having for him. And I think a lot of that is going to depend on how well he plays for the rest of March, how high his stock could potentially get. But in, in my mind, I, I, I do think Malachi can legitimately benefit from coming back for another year at Ohio State where he'd be the clear number one guy on the team and you know continue to develop his game before going to the NBA. Because I think he's a guy that certainly has lottery pick kind of potential. I think he's going to need a really big run in March if he's going to be a lottery pick this year. And so if he has that really big run, maybe it makes sense for him to just go now. I think he'll probably go through the NBA draft process and test the waters one way or another. But my feeling would be that it probably would be in his best interest long-term to play one more season at Ohio state, continue to develop his game. And if he can have a really big year next year, be one of the best players in the country, you know, maybe that propels him into being that, you know, surefire lottery pick a year from now. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said there. I will just say, because I I said it earlier, that just with Seth Towns, man, like it's really tough when you've missed three full seasons of college basketball, basically at this point, with rehabbing for, you know, one injury after another. At some point, you know, do you get sick of going through all that recovery, all that rehab, all that physical therapy, and just say, you know what, you know, they're giving me a sign from above that, you know, maybe I need to do something else. I don't know. He told me before the season that he still had a lot of, you know, basketball uh, hoop streams ahead of him. But at that point, he was supposed to be starting his season in December and not missing the entire season. So that remains to be seen. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back. Branham, again, I think I said earlier that I expected him to leave after this season. But like just a couple of games like this just kind of shows that like there's still so much left to be seen when it comes to that conversation, because 
you know, you, you've seen guys like a Steph Curry or someone like that, a, a run they've gone on in the NCAA tournament to really, you know, bring a lot of spotlight to them and raise their stock at the end of a season. Could he do something like that? I would not put it past him based on what we've seen him do against the likes of Illinois, Indiana, Iowa recently. But if he kind of, you know, fizzles a little bit with some, you know, okay performance. I mean, he had 16 points tonight, five of 11. That's a pretty good game on paper there for Malachi Branham. But, you know, it's not the type of game, especially in the loss, that's going to continue that that crazy buzz that he had built up there for a while. And, and Chris Holman had to eat his words a little bit after saying on the radio show Monday that he would not vote for Bryce McCowan's because obviously he's going to vote for Malachi Branham. I, I did see a lot of Nebraska fans commenting about that after a game on Tuesday night as Bryce McGowan's did outshine Malachi Branham in that game. He certainly did. And, and, you know, I think Chris Holman did like, he did say that in jest, but also just when you see the comment, you know, Nebraska fans have to kind of run with that one because it's just a, it's just a too low hanging fruit there. To finish the show on a positive note, I do think we should give a shout out to Ohio state women's basketball, which uh, won a share of the regular season, big 10 championship on Sunday finished the season 22 and five overall 14 and four in big 10 play is the number one seed in the big 10 tournament, which begins today in, in Indianapolis, the same city where I am for the NFL scouting combine and Ohio state will play its first game in the quarterfinals at 1130 AM Friday. So that team, you know, while, you know, Ohio state men's basketball, certainly having some ups and downs right now, a uh, women's basketball, a team that I don't know that necessarily entered the year with expectations of being a Big Ten title contender. I mean, they lost their best player from last season, Dorka Yuhash, to a transfer to UConn after last season. Then another one of their best players, Madison Green, suffered a season-ending knee injury right before the season started. And so I don't know that a lot of people were picking Ohio State to win a Big Ten title and be the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament this year. But, you know, they were able to get that done. So a, a great season for them, you know, so far. Again, much like with Chris Holtman and his Buckeyes, Kevin McGuff and his Buckeyes are going to be judged by what they do for the rest of March. Because if you look at Kevin McGuff's tenure at Ohio State, women's basketball team has had a lot of successful regular seasons, but they've never gotten past the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. So certainly, again, they're going to ultimately be judged by what they're able to do in the big tournament. But certainly in terms of a regular season, it's been a great year for Ohio State women's basketball so far, and they deserve a lot of credit for what they've accomplished. Yeah, and, and two uh, first-team All-Big Ten selections as well with J.C. Sheldon, who's had a fantastic career for Ohio State, as well as uh, Taylor Mike Sell as well. There's certainly some parallels there with the two programs, but not in terms of the Big Ten regular season title because that is going to be off, not in the cards for the Ohio State men's team this year. But as we saw last year, they, they still have a chance to make a late run here if they can turn things around and potentially get a little bit healthier here going into these last few games. Well, we got to wrap up this late night recording session. I got to get to bed to get up for some NFL combine interviews on Wednesday morning. But thanks to everyone for listening in to this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. And we'll be back next week to talk the start of spring football and to talk about everything I learned in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine, and we'll see if we have good or bad things to say about Ohio State men's basketball as they go into the Big Ten tournament. So I hope you all will tune in again next week. Enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll talk to you soon.